Take your Bibles this morning and turn to Romans chapter 4. Romans chapter 4. It's been a great week this week. I know uh, for so many of us, uh, for Leslie and the family and I, we were up in St. Louis for a few days at our Southern Baptist Convention and uh, went through all the processes there. And then at the later, later part of the week, uh, we had a little bit of fun. I told my kids, if you can just sit through the business portion for about two days, I'll make it worth it the next couple of days, okay? And they were troopers, and we had a great time there. And I know that even here this week, uh, as Bible school was going on, so many different children that were running across this campus, 500 plus or so, it was an awesome week as I got reports each day of the things that were going on. And I give God all the glory and praise for that. Now, I wasn't here for Bible school. And I'm not sure that they taught this song, but it was a song that I learned when uh, I was in Bible school and really when I was in children's choir some years ago. Uh, it was entitled Father Abraham. I think that was the official title. Some of you have heard that song before. Father Abraham had many sons. Many sons had Father Abraham. You recognize that? And I am one of them, and so are you. So let's just praise the Lord, right? And then what we do? Right arm. All right, so let's get up this morning and... No, no, no. I was thinking about having Paul Frazier lead this group over here and maybe Will Specht. I was kind of looking out up there in the, uh, in the uh, gathering. We've got the McGurts, Mike Walpole. Some of those could be doing it up there. We, we, we could do it. We, we could do it, but it would probably take a little too much time. Some of you would get upset about Sunday school, but... Father Abraham, we would sing that song so often as children. And to be honest with you, it never really registered on me what we were singing. I mean, I was, I was more concerned about the right arm and the left arm and the right foot. And the left. I was more concerned about those things. Now, it stuck in my mind as I would think about Father Abraham. And in these years past, you know, I've reflected upon that, especially as I come through passages like this about how we recognize the faith of our fathers, and how we recognize particularly the faith of Abraham, our father. I want us to go back. Some of you know we've been walking through Romans, and we had gotten to chapter 6, and now we're going back to chapter 4. Some of you are probably overly concerned about that this morning. You think we'll never get through this series, but I want to walk back through chapter 4, and I want you to see the faith of our father, the faith of Abraham. The faith which we are to exemplify in our lives. The faith that he has demonstrated and how he was justified only through his faith. I want to show you this morning what we can learn from Father Abraham, okay? Beginning in verse 1 of that fourth chapter, Paul writes to the Roman believers and he says, What then shall we say that Abraham our father has found according to the flesh? For if Abraham was justified by works... He has something to boast about, but not before God. For what does the scripture say? Abraham believed God, and it was accounted to him for righteousness. Now to him who works, the wages are not counted as grace, but as debt. But to him who does not work, but believes on him who justifies the ungodly, his faith is accounted for righteousness. Just as David also describes the blessedness of the man to whom God imputes righteousness apart from works. Blessed are those whose lawless deeds are forgiven and whose sins are covered. Blessed is the man to whom the Lord shall not impute sin. So stop there. 
What Paul has been telling us is that the gospel of Christ, the good news of Jesus, is that he has died for us. That he has given us the opportunity to have our sins totally covered through his one sufficient atonement. And how do we recognize that salvation? How are we justified? In other words, how is the righteousness of Christ somehow applied to our lives? Through faith. That's what he's been teaching us. And then it's kind of like he goes to chapter 4 and he says, let me give you an example, an Old Testament example. Let me give you an illustration. Sometimes illustrations help us see the story, help us to see the lesson much clearer, right? When we have an illustration. So what Paul does is he just says, let me tell you about Father Abraham. And let me tell you how he was justified through faith. And this is what you see in the first few verses. Basically, this lesson. We are not justified by our good deeds. We are justified by faith and faith alone. That's basically what Paul says. Paul says, if Abraham had been justified by his works, he would be able to boast about those things. Notice those first few verses here. He says he would be able to brag he would be able to talk about all of his goodness. If he, if he were really able to justify himself through his works, then he would be able to boast about his life and his salvation. Now, at the end of chapter 3, Paul had reminded us that the only boasting that we have is through Christ Jesus. And the only way we can brag is because Jesus Christ has imputed his righteousness to us. See, so many people today, I think there are many people today that believe that they can attain their salvation or their justification based upon their good deeds, based upon their works. What they, in essence, do is make it all about them. I mean, that's what they're saying. Justification, salvation is basically all about us. If we somehow think we can work our way, it's all about us. It's man-centered, right? We think we can get there somehow, just as long as we do enough. But the gospel of Christ is not man-centered. The gospel of Christ is God-centered. What I'm saying is that we do not boast about our own good deeds. We boast about the good deed of the Father sending the Son, Jesus Christ, for our behalf and for our salvation. You see, if we make it about us, we have missed the point of the marvelous good news of Jesus Christ. If we make it all about what we have done, we have missed the point of what God has done. We can never attain our salvation, our justification, based upon our works. The image has been given before of a mountain and how so many of us feel like we're climbing the mountain. We want to get to God somehow. God's there on top of that mountain. He's sitting on the peak. And somehow we feel like we've got to do enough. We've got to work enough so that somehow we can get to God. And notice as we go about that journey, so many of us become frustrated. So many. Because what you'll notice is it's going to get more difficult and more difficult. And you're still working. You're still doing those good deeds, trying to get to God. But you will become frustrated. 
eventually you may even give up. The gospel of Christ is not about how you go up the mountain to him. It's about how he has come down the mountain for you. Because you and I could never ascend high enough to attain that relationship with God and see him face to face. But this is what God has done. Oh, this is good stuff. This is what God has done. God the Father came down to us so that we could be justified, so that we could be saved. And that's what Abraham even, listen, even back in the Old Testament, Abraham was justified by his faith, not by his works. He was justified by his absolute trusting. God, even in Abraham's life, God took the initiative, right? Genesis chapter 12, that seminal passage for us. That here's Abram, that was his name at the moment. And God spoke to him and he said, I want you to go to a land that I'm going to show you. I, I want you to respond to me. I want you to trust me. And, and I'm, I'm going to be with you and I'm going to take care. Remember that great promise that he issued there to Abram. He said, if you would just go. Now, I've preached that passage several different times. And I always, I always look at it anew and afresh. And I'm always amazed by that faith that he demonstrated. I mean, you and I should be totally amazed by the faith that Abram demonstrated in Genesis 12. When God said, I want you to take everything, I want you to take everything that you've got, commit it to me, and trust me, believe me, and then I want you to go. Leave the family, leave the other, I want you to... Go. For us, think about how difficult that would have been. Just for us today. That we're to leave everything that we're comfortable with, everything that we've known, and we're to go. And God hasn't even given you the directions yet. Leslie and I, as we were driving this week, uh, to be honest with you, we weren't quite familiar with St. Louis. I've been there a time or two, and it is the home of the best baseball team in the world. Right, Mike Colley? Where are you, buddy? Yeah, tell John Hood about it. Right behind you, all right? It's a great team. So I'm, I'm familiar with St. Louis. I never had just driven. But there's this great person in my life now who helps me out. Her name is Siri. Siri, tell me how to get to the convention center. Siri, tell me how to get to Sugar, Sugar Fire Barbecue. Tell me how to get there. Tell me how to get to the pie pizza place. Tell me, yes, we ate. While we're there, you got to eat, right? But she would direct. Listen, Abram, he couldn't, he, he didn't have anything to say. Hey, Siri, tell me where we're going again. He didn't have anything he could punch in. He couldn't. He, he didn't know exactly. The scripture says in verse 4 of chapter 12, so Abram departed. I mean, we're not told anything else. Maybe he had talked. But according to what the biblical witness is, is that basically he heard from God and he departed. It is an act of faith and total trust that God, I am placing myself in your hands. And in chapter 15, the quote that is here, in chapter 15, it says that Abraham believed God. 
And because of his belief and his faith and his trust, it says it was accounted to him for righteousness. The idea is that the righteousness of God in some way was put upon the account of Abram. Because he believed. Because he believed. Now, listen to me. I'm not against works. I understand what James says. That works that they demonstrate, they give evidence of a true faith. I'm not against works. But I want you to hear me this morning. I think you need to hear me clearly. Is that we do not work for our salvation. We do not work in order to be saved. We work because we are saved. There's a total difference. My faith and my trust is in God. I'm, I'm not trying to struggle each day to somehow attain my salvation or maintain my salvation. My salvation is a done thing. Thanks to, be, thanks to God and Christ Jesus and how He has saved me and worked in my life. I have confidence in Him. We sang just a moment ago that no hand, no, no scheme of hell itself could somehow pluck us out of the hand of the Father. How tremendous is that? How we should praise the Lord that it's not based upon our goodness, but it's based upon His. How it's not based upon my continuing work, but it's based upon His one final work on the cross through the resurrection. As we see His power in our lives. But I do believe that so many in our culture today think that somehow through good deeds they can be justified. And I really do believe there are well-meaning people in our church that think good deeds will somehow bring salvation and justification. It, it's, it's that age-old illustration of the scales. Basically, that when we get to the end of life, some people think when we get to the end of life, as long as the good deeds outweigh the bad deeds, then we go to heaven. I mean, you talk to people, they may doctrinally share with you uh, a biblical salvation. They may be able to doctrinally, but all, oftentimes, practically, they're living like this. Well, I just hope I've done enough. As long as my good deeds outweigh my bad. And there are some religions that teach that, obviously. As long as you've done more good than you have bad, you're in good shape. No, you're not. Because what Paul has already told us in chapter 3 is that all of us have fallen short of the glory of God. So even in your best efforts, you've still fallen short of the mark. We talked about that a few weeks ago. And if you've fallen short once, that in and of itself is enough to keep you from a holy God. That's the reason Christ Jesus had to come. You know, oftentimes, people will say things to me like, you know, you, you think that Jesus is the only way? No, I, I don't just think it, I know it. And that's not arrogance. Don't listen to hear me say that. It, it is based upon what Jesus himself said. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes unto the Father except through me. It's only through me. 
It's only through him. If there was another way, let, let's say today, theoretically, theoretically, all of us in this place could do more good than, than bad, and somehow, yeah, God would say, that's good enough for me. You come on in. If we believe that, would that not somehow make a mockery of the sacrifice that Jesus Christ has paid for us? Well, let me put it this way. Why would God the Father ever have sent Jesus? If there was another way, if there was another way, if there was a way that you could work your way to salvation, why would he send Jesus? Today's Father's Day, and we celebrate fatherhood. And today in this place, many of us who are fathers, and we have maybe grown children or smaller children, and we love them with everything that we have. It's hard when you spend 24 hours in a hotel room with them or out and about, right? Come on, speak to me. Fill my language this morning. But you still love them. None of us in this place would want harm to come to our children. Never would we want to do that. Because we care for them. Sometimes I think we see the Father above as some cold, kingly tyrant. But the Father loved the Son. He had been in constant communion with Him for all of eternity. He and the Son had shared one purpose, had shared one thought. And now the Father and the Son who willingly accepted the mission, the Father sent the Son to die and to become that object of wrath we talked about a few weeks ago. If there was any other way, would that be much of a God? No. But God the Father knew we could not make it up the mountain. He knew we could not do enough good deeds. So he sent his one and only son for us to die. He said, Abraham, our father, he, he was not justified by his works. He just believed God it was accounted unto him to righteousness. You may have missed this because certainly the focus is Abraham in this passage, but I don't know if you noted, but Paul also quoted David. That's a big deal. I mean, he quotes Abraham or God's approval of Abraham. And then he quotes David. Why is that such a big deal? Well, in the Jewish mind, the Old Testament kind of mentality, you didn't get much larger than Abraham or David. Abraham was the founding father, if you want to put it that way. We as a nation, we understand the founding fathers, that terminology. Abraham, the founding father. David, well, he was the greatest king to live. Now, some of you look at me and say, well, wasn't Solomon? He had all the... Yes, I understand Solomon was the wisest. Solomon had great riches and all of that. But read through the Old Testament. Look, in particular, at how every other king was judged. 
Every other king, his conduct was not judged by Solomon's. The standard was David, a man after God's own heart. Everyone. So he did evil in the sight of the Lord, and he did not follow the ways of his father David. Maybe that's what it would say. Or it would say something like, and he followed God with all of his heart like his father David. So what Paul does is he pulls out the largest, most influential representatives of Judaism, and he says both of them have shown us that it's only through faith that we can be justified. So all of you are running around saying, oh, it's good deeds and you got to do this. No, no. Abraham, the founding father, David, the most influential king, they both maintained it was only through faith. This is not a new avenue. Faith has always been the way to please God. Read Hebrews chapter 11. Faith. So what we learn from him is that we're not justified by our good deeds. We're justified by our faith. And then he says, we're not justified by our religious ceremonies. Notice this in verse 9. Does this blessedness then come upon the circumcised only or upon the uncircumcised also? For we say that faith was accounted to Abraham for righteousness. How then was it accounted? While he was circumcised or uncircumcised? Not while circumcised, but while uncircumcised. And he received the sign of circumcision, a seal of the righteousness of the faith, which he had was still uncircumcised, that he might be the father of all those who believe, though they are uncircumcised, that righteousness might be imputed to them also, and the father of circumcision to those who are not only are of the circumcision, but who also walk in the steps of the faith, which our father Abraham had while still uncircumcised. So basically what he says here is that he was not justified by a religious ceremony, in particular, circumcision. He said, some of you think you have to be circumcised in order to have salvation in your life. Now, that was an early teaching, and it was a false teaching. you got to be circumcised. But what Paul points out is that when God said that Abraham had been justified because of his belief, he was actually uncircumcised. That's what he says. Genesis 15, that's where you'll find, that's where you'll find God's approval of Abraham. It's not until Genesis 17 that the covenant of circumcision is instituted. So, Paul says, it wasn't through some external religious rite. It wasn't through a religious ceremony that he came to faith. Or came to salvation. Now see there are those who live among us today that think if we go through certain religious ceremonies then surely we're saved. Surely we are. If we go through certain religious activities we're saved. Maybe if we go on, we go on Sunday morning. Well I'm proud you come on Sunday morning. I like to have some people to preach to every now and then. But I'm proud you come on Sunday morning to worship. I'm, I'm proud of that. I embrace that. We come on Sunday morning. We come. We, my family usually stays for both services. I talked to my kids the other day. I said, look, when you grow up, you ought to go to church on Sunday. You don't have to do both services then. Just, just go, you know. I think that's a good thing. But you're not saved just because you come to church every Sunday. 
probably the greatest example of this passage or illustration is baptism. Is baptism. And we celebrate it this morning with Ben. It was an awesome time for me every time I come into these waters to celebrate baptism. It's very important, baptism is. And I'm not going to give you the whole of the meaning like I did last week. You go, find it on the internet. Yeah, I see some of you are really excited about that, but <laughs> not going to go all into it. All, all I'll say is baptism doesn't save anybody. That's important. It declares our faith in what has happened, hopefully inwardly. But it has to happen inwardly. God has to save us. It, you can be baptized and not be saved. When people come and they join the church, and some of you know this, those of you who come from other uh, churches to move your letter or whatever, oftentimes I will say, almost always will say, you've accepted Christ as your Lord and Savior. And I know they look at me like, okay, well, I'm a member of church. I know that. But that doesn't mean you're saved. It should. Don't get me wrong. Membership only should be those of us who believe. But you and I, we know that there are those who are in the church roles that are lost. Years and years ago, Billy Graham said that probably the largest mission field is right within our churches. Because it's not through just a baptism. Just like circumcision did not bring salvation to Abraham, baptism does not bring salvation to anyone. I had an older pastor tell me one time, he said, Reggie, he said, you could be baptized so many times that the tadpoles know your social security number. You're not going to be saved just through baptism. Never forget that. You're not. You're saved only through faith, through absolute trust. You're not saved by religious ceremonies. How our culture needs to hear that today. It is through faith just as Abraham demonstrated. And finally, it is not through some ethnic identity that we find justification. We're not justified by our ethnic identities. We're justified by faith. Now, I think that's what Paul begins to tell us here in these verses I just read about how Abraham is our father. And then notice in verse 13, I'll read these verses very quickly. It says... For the promise that he would be the heir of the world was not to Abraham or to his seed through the law, but through the righteousness of faith. For if those who are of the law are heirs, faith is made void and the promise made of no effect, because the law brings about wrath. For where there is no law, there is no transgression. Therefore it is of faith that it might be according to grace, so that the promise might be sure to all the seed, not only to those who are of the law, but also to those who are of the faith of Abraham, who is the father of us all, as it is written, I have made you a father of many nations. In the presence of him whom he believed, God, who gives life to the dead and calls those things which do not exist as though they do, did, who contrary to hope and hope believed so that he became the father of many nations according to what was spoken, so shall your descendants be. And not being weak in faith, he did not consider his own body already dead since he was about a 100 years old. And the deadness of Sarah's womb, he did not waver at the promise of God through unbelief, but was strengthened in faith, giving glory to God and being fully convinced that what he had promised, he would also be able to perform. And therefore, and therefore, it was accounted to him for righteousness. 
Now it was not written for his sake alone that it was imputed to him, but also for us. It shall be imputed to us who believe in him, who raised up Jesus our Lord from the dead, who was delivered up because of our offenses and who was raised because of our justification. What Paul basically says here, one, is that Abraham was not simply justified because of his own background, but again, it was through his faith. And now, it is not through our own ethnic identities and who we align ourselves with necessarily nationally. It is through the faith that was demonstrated by our father Abraham. Now, God took him, called his family, not because he was the greatest, not because he came from this nationality or another. He, he just, God in his own sovereignty and providence called him. And then he believed. Abraham believed the promise of God that said, I'm going to make you the father of many nations. And it wasn't one ethnicity. It wasn't just the Israelite people that could come to faith. All of us could come to faith and trust. And indeed, those of us who did would recognize Abraham as our father. Now, I want to go back to that little song a moment. Father Abraham had many sons. Many sons had Father Abraham. And I am one of them. Now, I told you that in the beginning when I learned that song, I, I had not worked out all of that meaning, that I was one of them. I just called him Father Abraham, recognized he had many sons. But when I got to that idea, I am one of them, there was a disconnect probably for me. I didn't even think about the significance of it. But listen to what he says. That through faith, Abraham is the father of us all. Paul will say something very similar in Galatians. Galatians chapter 3, verse 7. He'll talk about how it is through faith that we are the sons or the children of Abraham. In other words, when we come to faith, it's not because of our own background, because most of us in this place, most of us in this place come from Gentile backgrounds. Maybe all of us come from Gentile backgrounds. So we weren't saved because of our ethnic superiority. No. We were saved because we had faith in Christ. And what God did is he overcame all of that racial barrier between Jew and Gentile. And now we who are of the faith, we can say he's our father too. That promise that God made to him and worked through him and that promise that eventually came as a blessing to the world through Jesus Christ. We're partakers of that. We're part of the family because of faith and trust. Listen, friends, today there are so many people that come to our churches and think, well, I'm, I'm saved, my mama... My mama's a good person and my daddy and I did what they asked me to do. No, 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 no. We've had some great fathers and we've had some great mothers who have led us. Many who have stood here in this church. But listen, 
you've got to own your faith. You, you can't just count on the faith of others, your parents and everybody. No, you've got to own it. You've got to trust. You've got to believe. And then when you do truly have faith and trust, Abraham is your father. Ultimately, God himself is your father. Because you have faith in what? Faith in Christ. It shall be imputed to us who believe in him who was raised up, who raised up Jesus our Lord from the dead, who was delivered us, delivered up because of our offenses and was raised because of our justification. Hey, that takes faith. Don't, don't lose the mystery of this. Don't lose the power of this. We are here today because God made a dead man live. Now you think about it a moment. Because God himself died for us on the cross, Jesus Christ, and then he came to life. Don't miss the power of that. See, so many of us here day to day, and we oh, yeah, yeah, we believe in Jesus. This was the evidence of his power and of his work is that Jesus Christ who was dead, who died a physical death for us. This Jesus, he lived again, and he continues to live. While there is evidence, and I can argue about it, I can bring the apologetics to you about how I believe that Jesus rose from the grave. I can do that. I still, I still believe down deep, though. We, we have to have faith in it. We have to trust that God has the power just, just as Abraham believed that as he was approaching death itself at the age of 100, that he felt like his body was as good as dead, God gave him a child. Just as Abraham believed that, today we have faith and believe that God raised Jesus from the dead because it took such a, such a powerful moment to bring us to such salvation. A few years ago, I was living down in Zachary, 2005. You'll remember the day. And Katrina came through just after I moved to Zachary. Now, Katrina did not hit Baton Rouge area very much. I mean, we had some residuals, but it wasn't that bad for us. Obviously, not near as bad as our friends down in New Orleans and on the Mississippi Gulf Coast. And I walked out after that storm had passed, and I noticed that there was a tree, just a small tree that was behind my house that was leaned over. And I went out there, and I, I tried to move it back because I was living in one of those subdivisions that didn't have trees. So I thought every tree was precious. You understand? I grew up in North Mississippi. We had trees everywhere. I needed a tree in my life. And I want to make sure this one was fine. So I was trying to pull it up. Couldn't get it straight. Just couldn't do it. Just a few weeks later, there was another storm came through. And too many people forgot about this storm. But it was Rita that totally devastated South Louisiana, Southwest Louisiana. And what Rita did, I went out afterwards. Rita actually came from the other direction, obviously, and the wind was blowing from the other direction, and the tree went back. It, it was amazing. 
Never forgot that. And all of a sudden, in that illustration, God taught me something. Is that all of us are bent towards sin. All of us. That's what the scripture says. We were bent towards sin. And it didn't matter if we tried in our own efforts to try to bring ourselves back in line. It wasn't going to happen. The force of sin is too powerful. And it has bent us in too much of a way. So what does it take? It takes a more powerful force. It takes a force to come back, to straighten us, to, to put us where we need to be. And that force, obviously for us, the Holy Spirit blowing into our lives, the message of what Jesus Christ has done for us. This sin was so deep and it was so significant, this sin problem, that God sent His one and only Son. How significant is that? Jesus died on the cross for us. And it is only through the power of the cross, the resurrection, the Holy Spirit working in our lives that we can come to true faith, that we can be justified. Today, would you hear this message? For those of you who aren't saved, would you come and would you be saved as God works? Would you confess Him as your Lord? Today, for those of us who are saved, let's not be working so that we can just keep our salvation. You don't have to worry about that. Let's work because we have been saved by the grace of God. And let's rejoice in Him that the powerful work of God has come into our lives and He has brought us new life. Let's listen to His message today. Let's pray. Father, we come to you, we praise you, we thank you for doing something for us that only you could. And God, I pray that today in this place that you would remind us of this grace and that you would challenge us to have faith, that we would trust, that we would just rest in you. Today I pray that you do a work of salvation in people's hearts and lives who are here I pray that you would give us the joy of salvation for those of us who've experienced it and help us to continue to rely upon that faith. We love you. We praise you. Work during this invitation. We ask you now. We beg you now. In Jesus' name.